Thank you for joining us for this episode of From All Sides, a podcast by Cube Group, where we explore the strategic, organizational, and human sides of the major issues facing public value organizations in the current world, and particularly the current COVID-19 crisis. Our series focuses on the different ways the COVID-19 pandemic impacts public service leaders and their organizations. And we discuss the ways we can be better prepared to lead Australia through response and recovery. Cube Group acknowledges the traditional owners on the land in which we work. Cube's offices is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of the land on which we work and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to Aboriginal Elders and community members who may be listening today. For more information on each episode of the podcast, please visit our website, cubegroup.com.au. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello. Today is Tuesday and our guest is Louise Glanville, the CEO of Victoria Legal Aid. Legal Aid provides help to Victorians to understand and handle their legal problems with a focus on protecting the rights of Victorians and representing those who need it the most. Almost every public purpose organisation has had to adjust its operations in some way during this pandemic to continue to function during extended periods of physical distancing. Many have been built on historical face-to-face business models, which creates the most profound changes in a physically distanced environment. And many have had rules or principles, systems, long-standing practices that don't easily translate into a virtual environment. However, I think our justice system could lay claim to facing among the greatest of these tests. The Magistrates Court completes some 84,000 cases each year. That's 320 for every working day of the year. Thousands of people enter the courts each day, and even those of us who aren't close to the court system can just imagine how common it is within courts to see large groups of people in enclosed settings, perhaps poorly ventilated areas. At the VLA, Louise has been deeply a part of the courts and the justice system rapidly adapting in the face of the pandemic, including adapting VLA's own operations. We're delighted to have her with us to share those experiences. Louise, thanks so much for being part of this conversation. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Can we start just by telling us about where we're speaking to you from? What is what is your uh, remote working arrangement and, and yeah, how have you found it? Well, actually, I'm down on Wathurong country, which is uh, near Geelong, and I should start by paying my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and note that their lands were never ceded. Port Arlington is about half an hour from Geelong and on the Ballerine. So you look across at Melbourne, uh, you can catch the wonderful Port Arlington ferry across to Docklands uh, on a daily basis if you need to, which of course I haven't needed to do every day in this environment. It's very beautiful and uh, yeah, great, great place to be. Well, let's start with um, a bit of background perhaps on the courts and justice system through the COVID pandemic. Most people listening, whether we're closely involved in the courts or justice system or, or not, We'd have a general sense that your day in court, the face-to-face reality of court is a pretty important. But could you give us a sense of just how much is the justice system, the court system, a face-to-face enterprise? And, and how big a shock was it to have the physical distancing that came along with COVID-19? Clearly, the court sort of system, but generally justice more broadly, is very much a face-to-face enterprise. And most of the work of Victoria Legal Aid is in courts across Victoria. So not just in Metro Melbourne, but all over the state and all courts, both federal and state courts, of course, because we also do much family law. We do a lot of work in the AAT and BCAT, which are the tribunals, the key tribunals um, in Victoria and Australia. Generally, the, the bulk of our work is in the in the area of crime and 
and um, child protection. So it gives you a sense of all the courts that we're in. Very much face-to-face. That's the way the court work has been done over years. Some of VLA's work is, though, online uh, and has been for a while. So things like our legal help phone lines, the web chat that associates with that, those sorts of things are, of course, not face-to-face. So we use different mechanisms for that. But generally, the courts are very, you know, reliant on that face-to-face interaction to get their work done. So a big part of our working courts is the duty lawyering piece. And, you know, on any given day, everyone assembles around 9 in courts, 9am in courts, and they wait till their matter they wait till their matter is heard. Duty lawyering is very face-to-face and um, you're picking up things and you're seeing people as they come in the door. And what this means is that very much, in my view, the work of courts has been designed around judges and, uh, and lawyers. That has some limitations in a big way because everything is, has to be so transactional and so face-to-face. And I think the court processes themselves are very focused on events. So it might be a mention hearing or um, another sort of hearing that is part of the structure of the way the court works, but generally relies on that face-to-face engagement more thoroughly. So COVID, of course, it sort of exploded that pretty immediately. We were very at Legal Aid, very much affected uh, early on. It would have been, um, I always get my dates mixed up here, but 2020, I think in February, late February, we had our first case internally of COVID, which was pretty early on for Melbourne, which meant that we had to close down sections of our office and send people home pretty quickly. That was a um, pretty scary time in some ways, worrying about people's well-being, our staff's well-being, but also, most importantly, Tom, too, wanting to keep the essential legal services we provide going. So that's a real, that double commitment to our staff's well-being, but being able to service those who are pretty disadvantaged and most vulnerable, which is the sort of client base that Legal Aid has, is pretty important to us. So that was um, a big shift at that time, having to sort of move out and start doing things in a different way. Um, the courts are obviously a pretty essential function for the, you know, the way our society operates. Um, just give people a sense of what happened in those early lockdown periods with the courts. What, How quickly were things um, sort of uh, put on hold, delayed? What things were able mm. to be continued? Just, just give us a picture of, of mm. that, that, that environment you were working within. So things did move quite quickly, although I look back now and think it was slow in some respects, but uh, in the experiencing of it, it went quite quickly. Probably the first thing to say is that many matters still continued in court. So things like family, urgent family violence matters and other matters that are urgent for some reason that needed to be heard face-to-face were heard face-to-face, but many matters were delayed. So we still now have long delays, of course, with trials. And that relates to things like how can you bring a whole lot of people together in a COVID environment? You think of all the people that might be in a courtroom. It's not just a judge and that person's support people. It's family that might be in there. It's the accused that's in there. It's juries that will be in there. It's those who are defending, those who are prosecuting. All those people are in the room. And so it had to be some really quick thought about how you move that work out of the face-to-face environment. And I think important to add to there were decisions where some matters needed to continue face-to-face and that really still did happen. But on the whole, most matters in the courts moved offline. Um, and if you think of just take the magistrate's court, so in any given day, there'd be about 2,000 people going through the magistrate's court in Melbourne. So it's a very big court. You know, that includes both people who are there for their matters to be heard, but also practitioners who are there and court staff who are there. 
but you think of COVID and what we're experiencing in those days, the very much unknown nature of it and how it was really important for us to be able to move up and out quickly and indeed for the courts to do the same. So so quite a bit moved online. And one of those biggest moves for you, you, you sort of mentioned it earlier, but moving from the face-to-face on the day duty lawyer service to introducing a digital duty lawyer, the help before court. Can you yeah. well, tell us a bit about what that is first and, and then um, we'd love to explore the process of setting that up in, in such an environment. So duty lawyering is the core of what legal aid does in all courts. It's a time of meeting with the client of discussing issues of confirming what's going on, seeking other material that's needed, of course, doing the advocacy work in the court. It's quite an intense thing and very, very important often to everyone's wellbeing in the court setting. So we had to design a new way of doing that because we couldn't necessarily go into the court in the same way. For bail matters, the bail court still sat largely. So that was certainly something that we continued to do face-to-face often. But for a lot of other matters, It was done by designing a new sort of model, a new service delivery type, Tom, which we called Help Before Court. And I think it's been pretty successful, which is great. It had um, some hiccups early on, as any new service design would have. You have to think about the fact that not everybody is enabled by sort of digital technology. So not everybody has the sort of technology you need. And that's the very first point that we need to consider. So you would always want to have choice for people in this space, I think, in that way. But it was thinking about the points of service delivery. It was thinking about how uh, the systems, the different systems of the different parts of the system worked. So the tech systems and how they worked with the system as a whole. I think the key point there was also thinking about how our staff would experience that from legal aid's perspective. So for lawyers, you know, their bread and butter a bit is they like the public appearance, a lot of them. They uh, they get nervous by it and, you know, some bad things happened in COVID um, as, as a consequence of this sort of shift um, or some things that were also very funny. I think we were talking earlier about, you know, animals and cats wandering across computers as people were trying to present a case on behalf of their client and those sorts of things. So it's some very tricky things happened. But given that nature, of what the court is and the performing people had to learn to do that in a digital way and you know that's hard because I'm sitting here and I can see you now even though this is a podcast we're doing this face to face which is great and you know I can see what's happening in your domain as you can see what's happening in mine and nothing's always smooth here you know like I've got a partner of 30 years and she pops in and out of the room sometimes when I'm not expecting it children decide to um, demand your attention at a particular point in time and because the matters in courts are so serious, you know, um, it's sometimes hard to contain your environment like you can do in a workplace or in a court. So even the sort of design features of how we supported staff with that type of thing was really important to think about to at least understand their experience and what they would be feeling and the the additional anxiety I think that that probably created, but mainly how they could really take on this new environment or deal with all the emotional complexity of it as well and do the best job they could do for their clients. So I think it was a really quite a challenging thing. And there's been some good outcomes from it, though, I'd have to say. So for example, 
you know, family dispute resolution, which is something that was generally done in face-to-face as part of sort of court processes and practices and systems more generally in family law, doing that online has been incredibly successful because people are often more comfortable doing that within their own environment, provided they've got the resources to be able to do that, you know, so they've got the technology that's needed. And there's a settling piece to it sometimes for people to be doing things from an environment they know rather than coming into an environment that they're not familiar with um, in any particular way. So it's been an interesting ride, but a a rocky one in lots Mm. of ways. We have had on previous conversations from this a a range of people from all sorts of contexts that have moved Mm. historically face-to-face services online and Every one of their experiences is is really interesting. You, you mentioned that one, just the change in dynamic interaction. What, what are some others that you've noticed, but good and bad, in terms of people's access to court services or, or legal legal support online? You mentioned the the digital literacy pieces as well, but yeah, are there others other things that you've learned in terms of how that either helps or hinders people's access to legal support? I think it really does depend on the person themselves and the people that are involved in the engagement piece. We've worried about losing some people, like we call them people would disappear. That is, you know, someone's required to attend at a place on a time for a matter in a court. You see them, they're face to face with you. You can experience them in a different way and you can work with them in a different way. I think the digital move, there was a concern amongst our staff and we have yet to really look at our data and see whether we think that people disappear into a system when there's not that same connection, which is sort of person to person. So that's one concern. I've already mentioned mentioned the fact that not everybody is enabled by digital moving forward digitally. And our motto in that way has always been digital first, but not digital always, because we know some people um, do find it pretty challenging. It's stressful enough having to be in a court, but to have to allow yourself to be guided by a computer and a system that's going to let you in and let you out and that you have to drive that, but essentially you you don't control that in the same way as you control your movements when you're in a space face-to-face, I think is a really interesting thing to contemplate, Tom. And certainly I think there've been some of the, the challenges with it. Even as someone like me, who's pretty literate with computer programs, that process of feeling beholden to the computer to let you in or otherwise, rather than walk through a particular room, that that is a very unsettling experience, I'm sure, for, for some people. Also curious about to hear about just the relationship between the duty lawyer and someone who's who's having their day in court, that trust and um, sort of rapport or those, those sorts of things that are normally pretty important to a sort of ad- advisor and support role. How have your staff found those interactions with their with their clients? Do you, do you find yourself mm-hmm. able to to build that sort of component of your of your work? I think that face-to-face interaction is very significant, but lots of people come to the courts, particularly for longer matters, I'd say, Tom, but lots of people come to courts and their time is short and they're sort of in and out. It's a very fast-moving process. And so the relationship piece, I think, probably from my understanding, is more critical with those longer-term matters that continue over long periods of time where the relationship is really important and it has got to be one of trust and respect and, you know, clearly um, there is a lot of weight on both sides for wanting that relationship to work usually. With a lot of the matters in the magistrate's court, they're, they're quicker, their things move pretty rapidly and so that means that people often just want to get 
you know, they want to know what their circumstances are, what their options are. We want to be able to know what some of the issues are in their matter moving forward. We want to be able to deal with those reasonably quickly because matters are in and out in a day and very quickly once they're on, they're on and then they're off and they're finished and the decision is made by the magistrate or the judge in the matter. So in some of those instances, I think the digital environment helps to contain the issue and make it pretty clear and straightforward about what we need and what's going to happen, what we predict will happen in the hearing and what the options are for the client who's there. So that can be quite a positive thing. And I think sometimes the anonymity piece online a little bit, even though we're looking at each other now, you don't really know who I am and we're not really talking about a lot of intimate things in that way. So there's a sense of the anonymity. I think that can be quite helpful too. You started earlier to talk a bit about the experience of your staff and particularly thinking about mm. their their well-being. Um, I imagine for your staff as well, depending on the subject matter they're dealing with in their spare room or wherever they are managing to work from home, it adds an additional layer of challenge. Do you want to tell us a bit about mm. what just the experience of your staff uh, migrating yeah. that way and, and maybe some of the things that are, yeah. are good or, or you're worried about? Uh, look, I think generally our staff are incredibly robust, but I think the COVID period has been very hard. Um, we have a lot of youngish lawyers, so um, I'm, I'm 61, so I'm a bit of an old girl now, but we have a lot of people in there 30s and their 40s with young families, but often in shared houses, for example, if they're quite young. And you're quite right that some of the material we have to deal with, for example, sex offences and those sorts of things, which can be quite challenging. If you're having to keep stuff private in your house and the only room that's really yours is your bedroom, for example, I think there can be some particular challenges for doing your work in a space and also keeping that private, but having that space is also your space of rest. So I think this is really an interesting point to contemplate for staff generally, I think, who've been through COVID, but particularly for our staff in these sorts of environments. I think the other thing um, too, though, though, Tom, is that increasingly there's a level of fatigue, and I think this is talked about very commonly, but I, I have actually seen it where the continuous having to be on on the screen and to be competent in that space is something which takes its toll and not having immediately people around to that you say if we're in Melbourne or you know we're in Geelong or we're down in Warrnambool at the court there or wherever we are you know you go to the court you chat to colleagues there um, you know to other people in the service system the prosecutor or the police or whoever's there or uh, you know other lawyers that you know you do have this exchange and interaction I think that's probably really positive in lots of ways because it is you as part of that system of work and you have that connection and that um, support in some ways when you're home alone, it's quite, quite different, I think. While I think there's been many positive benefits from working from home and um, many we would wish to, you know, we want to keep the hybrid model going. We, we think it works for our staff. Our POS surveys tell us it works for our staff. I think there's some real upsides and some real downsides in that way. So, yeah, I think it's been hard and I think people have had to, you know, rethink their role in a lot of ways and to contemplate how you hang on to what's important to you when you're not getting the same interactions as you previously have had. Previous guests, when we had a conversation about about this issue, just reminded people that we weren't really 
flexibly working during this period. We were we were working mm. at home during a crisis period, and we we weren't at all mm. sort of set up for it, and had our our system set up, our, our home set up, mm. our sort of HR pro- for su- supporting each other, creating those things. There's certainly a mm. maturity to come, isn't there, around doing this in a way that's yeah sustainable in a hybrid model that takes some of these benefits, but also eyes open to some of the risks. I think that's right, and and as an employer of you know we've got about a thousand staff at Legal Aid or nine fifty at the moment, I think making sure that you're meeting occupational health and safety obligations. And when you're in a workplace, it's much easier to do that. Um, It's hard there too, but it's much easier because you've got it all in front of you. And then people disperse. People are now working from their homes. You know, the way in which as an employer you think about is that that environment safe for them and what's our obligation as an employer and what do we need to understand about the circumstances in which staff are working. So I think all of these things um, really have been brought into sharp relief during COVID. So far, we've primarily talked about the duty lawyer service for court, but you also obviously an important place is your legal helpline is often the first place people come to for support. Tell us a bit about how that service has changed during the pandemic and and some of the issues that have come up there. Yeah, so it's essentially a phone service and um, it has many different languages attached to it. So we offer that service in language for many different people who ring in. But it's really emerged more from having the phone conversations and chats to web chatting much more thoroughly. So people are liking the fact that the exchange on web chat can be much quicker and people can put their information and ask us things and deal with that in a a sort of a way um, which some people prefer. And we've seen an increase in take up in that, Tom, during the COVID pandemic. It's also slightly quicker than the phone lines, which sometimes take a bit longer for for the call to be answered. But interestingly, we've had to prioritise some phone lines during the COVID period. And the one we did prioritise in particular was family violence, because we were sort of aware of what was happening on the ground with um, that becoming a more complicated area and the experiences predominantly of women being such that we needed to have a more ready line that was answered more quickly than some of our other lines. So there's been some of the changes that we've had to make, different lines, priority lines, thinking of web chat more thoroughly, giving people choice and options for how they engage. Because as you say earlier, it's that engagement piece and when people are ready for it is the point that's important. And having different choices in that has been has been really significant for people to be able to access. What are the two or three things that you have seen in an experience in and around the court system that you'd like to see continue in the future and you'd like us to learn from this from this great experiment? the impacts are largely cultural, if I can put it that way, that we've seen a big cultural shift in the way organisations do their work now. And that's meant a whole lot of things. And I could talk about this for a long time, but if I had to pick the top three things that that you're suggesting, I think what COVID's really indicated is that in the justice system, we have to be mindful of the system itself and not just think of it as courts or police or correction services. You know, they are the bigger players, but there's smaller players in it that are really the glue that holds all that together. And prosecution services is one, but private practitioners another and uh, VLAs or legal aid commissions are another with community legal centres. We all form part of that system, that legal assistance sector. And I think um, really what COVID's assisted with is encouraging a thoughtfulness around the system and what the system needs as distinct from what individual organisations need. And that's going to make a really big difference because it's also often a better outcome for clients. And I think that's the sort of the second point I'd make is that 
COVID really has forced us to sharpen our lens on the key, what are the key issues for people in any legal matters, but also has highlighted very thoroughly, Tom, the intersection between people's legal issues, their social issues and economic and other issues that they're actually um, experiencing health issues. And many of these areas, I think, are ones where we don't think of people holistically. We don't think of people who, who we work with in a holistic enough way. We think of their legal problems. So we dissect that bit out. But this connection between, you know, legal, social health, other problems for individuals is vitally important for us to be able to address and move forward on people's needs more thoroughly. So I think COVID has really assisted sort of in this way as well to really put clients first and to think about, you know, what the client experience is, not just what the experience of lawyers and judges are, but what the in magistrates, but what the experience of clients is. And that's a really important thing. So that's the third thing is putting sort of users at the center, sharper lens on key issues and you know thinking about that system approach more broadly. Louise, I noticed in this, we're talking about the changes from going online and, and actually most of our conversation is not about technology. It's not about IT or computer programs. It's actually about the experience or the practice of it. What is the sort of personal challenges that, that you've found in, in, in part of this transition? Mm, I, th- I think it's been a very hard time generally for people, um, this transition, but also combined with COVID and everything else people were having to deal with, whether it's homeschooling or looking after caring for others, it's been an incredibly emotional time, I think, Tom. And changing the way you work from face-to-face to a more digital model should never be the whole picture, but it's a massive thing, I think, in lots of ways for people to have experienced. And that's come with uh, lots of angst and challenges that previously people didn't have to deal with in their daily lives. And I'm talking about, yes, our own stuff, but I think I'm talking generally about people that I know and work with in my own family about what it's meant to sort of get through and survive and continue that fatigue point I've mentioned before. But I think the emotion for me has been really thinking about how do you support people when you no longer see them and how do we lead in environments when you're no longer having direct connection for people. And I mean pressing the flesh. I mean, you know, that you're actually there with someone in a room. The digital work is an engagement and it is you see people and you talk to people and you can talk to them about many different things, but it doesn't nail this point around the lack of connection that you have when you're not seeing people from time to time, at least face-to-face, you can really look them in the eye and say, how's it going? And I think people had to hold that in themselves. That's hard. And I think leaders can assist by showing their own not a vulnerability, but it's showing how they're feeling in any particular instance. And my own experience of talking to staff about my own tiredness, my own frustration, my own desire for will things ever be back to normal we used to talk about, it really does take its toll and takes its toll both for staff, I think, in the workplace, but at home too. So I think it's been a really key experience that people have had. and, And I think we need to own that and see it and work to try and understand it and how people can be supported more thoroughly when they have to do these very challenging shifts and moves to continue essential services and their essential work. Our guest today has been Louise Glanville from Victoria Legal Aid. Thanks so much, Louise, for being a part of this conversation. Thanks, Tom. 